Hello and welcome to the Data IQ podcast. I'm David Reed, bringing you 30 minutes of interviews and insights from the data and analytics industry. This edition is brought to you in partnership with Royal Mail. And coming up, I talk to Paul Davidson, head of data at Royal Mail, about doing the right thing with data and to discuss the findings of new research we have jointly carried out. After that, I catch up with Kinari Larder of TUI, winner of last year's Data IQ Award for Digital and Data Champion, and the team from J-Curve, winners of the Transformation with Data Award for their work with Sainsbury's. We discuss the impact of winning an award and why recognition still matters, even in the middle of a health crisis. But first, as part of this edition's focus on awards and recognition, I spoke to Anita Fernquist, UK Chief Data Officer at Zurich Insurance, number one in the Data IQ 100, and winner of the Grand Prix in the 2019 Data IQ Awards. Anita is also Chair of Judges for the 2020 Awards Scheme. We talked about the journey her data team have been on, what winning meant to her and the team, and what she will be looking for when judging this year's entries. So Anita, we chose you as our number one in the 2020 edition of the Data IQ 100. Could you give an idea of the reaction that you had to that and also what response it got from your network? Firstly, thank you, because it's an absolutely tremendous honour being surrounded by all those people and then actually being number one is incredible. Huge dose of imposter syndrome. Uh, <laughs> for me, actually, I felt from last year that I had felt I had to work twice as hard to justify and earn the position I'd been given last year, which in turn leads to more. So you, so it's been an interesting interesting journey, but um, imagine the pressure I'm putting on myself now. But yeah, amazing. Um, equally from a network perspective, you know, tremendous response, complete explosion on LinkedIn, as you can imagine. Um, and an absolutely fantastic response from the Data IQ community itself, because it, it is a great and hugely supportive community. And I think people are just genuinely happy for each other. So yeah, really positive experience. That's good to hear. And apologies about LinkedIn. I know that is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> you probably had to filter it for a few months. It's still working through it, but um, no, the response is response is fantastic. And inevitably, as with these things, other people are always more pleased for you than you are for yourself because you're still doubting whether or not you should have had it in the first place. The reaction from other people is always um, always fabulous. Well, your place at number one was very much earned. The choice reflected a journey that Zurich Insurance has been on in terms of its use of data. Could you give our listeners a sense of what that has involved? It's been epic journey to be honest on the face of it from the skill set for the team it's been tremendous amounts of listening teamwork patience resilience you know whilst we say it's about data actually at the core it's about a team bonding together to solve a challenge and sticking at that and really unearthing cradle to grave what needed doing practically speaking it was about lifting the lid on people process technology and ultimately fundamentally culture to affect a transformation across all areas to really make sure that we were putting data at the heart of what we did. Um, so it's not as simple as building a data asset or you know, embedding an understanding of culture it really was end-to-end making sure what we had was well running, that we then understood where our challenges were, where our opportunities were, how we went after those, how we secured the funding, how we then stayed on course with a complex delivery amidst changing environments, changing stakeholders, changing business requirements, changing customers, and stayed the course. So I think fundamental part of that really was the, the team sticking at it. And I think the, the thing to remember is with any transformation and data in particular is the challenge keeps changing. So 
actually, you know, the early days was very much about building towards this Nirvana state and being finished. Um, and the challenge for, for everyone involved really has been reconciling ourselves with the fact that there is no finish line, just many <laughs> stage gates, uh, which I think is, you know, a huge part of that challenge. It seems that innovation is playing a big part in the insurance industry, um, especially around the adoption of data analytics. What do you see as driving that at a sector level? And then what is it that gives an individual brand its own unique advantage as a result? I think in terms of what's driving it, I mean, our customers drive our need for innovation, regardless of what sector any of us are in the world is changing and evolving around us. And now more than ever, we see that happening. And actually, it's not about trying to keep up with or beat the competition. It's trying to get ahead of competition we can't even see on the horizon because the people that are going to be competing with us tomorrow are not people that we could even imagine. When we look at use of data and analytics, it's not a traditional insurer who's necessarily going to, to pop up and be the challenger. It could be, could be anywhere. So our customers want more. They need more. Everyone is exploiting data in different ways. That really is driving that complete need for innovation. Um, equally, though, I think it's really important to remember that under that, innovation has to be underpinned by robust business. And in the case of insurance, it's all about trust. You know, they, they, they trust us. Uh, we're there to deliver on that. So actually, the innovation has to go hand in hand with some form of USP, depending on the business area. Particularly in an industry such as insurance, it's not necessarily a product people want, but they need it. So actually, it's got to be, we've got to be easy to deal with, it's got to be innovative, but also under that, it can't be innovation for innovation's sake. It has to be underpinned by by a robust, uh, sound, trusted business at the core, because that innovation needs to be in support of what we stand for. But actually, it's very similar parallel to to the world of data, really, because actually people can absolutely and should innovate in all forms of way with the analytics, etc. But it still has to be sat on those solid foundations of, of the data underneath. So I do think innovation goes hand in hand with a solid base. Uh, so clearly, right now, things have changed for everybody. What's been the impact on your function and how have you had to respond to that as a leader impact on all of us has been has been huge both positives and negatives i mean there's been many highs and many lows you know from a team perspective the team's flexibility and adaptability has been absolutely crucial we've all had to work in in different ways so from their perspective actually what we had planned in advance but ultimately lockdown moved very fast there was a need to change our working practices overnight really to give to give an example really it's always been a very tight-knit team um who've relied on the sense of fun and the face-to-face energy and standing around a scrum board and actually there's been a need for us to think about how do we do things differently how do we keep the sense of energy so as a leader from my perspective it's been very much about about the people having to put far more trust in people which is real positive because actually as a leader i think it's making us truly lead there's not the ability to come in and roll up sleeves and get involved and drive the team absolutely crazy on the nth level of detail. <laughs> um, for me as a leader, it's been very much about how do I keep in touch with the team, check in, make sure they're okay, make sure they have what they need, but ultimately enable them to go off and deliver. So on that front, it's been a real positive. There's been real need to think about communication in terms of who we communicate with and how and how we keep that sense of proximity to people. 
Equally, being creative in in how we approach things like recruitment, uh, onboarding new members of staff. We had uh, four or five developers joining us the day after lockdown had started, so they needed to be onboarded virtually. And um, mm. with a couple within a couple of weeks, had delivered their first release. It's really tested us all as leaders to challenge our assumptions, and in turn make us realise that actually the solutions to some of these problems were in front of us all along. So when we think about actually you know, looking for talent, the boundaries disappear because actually we've proven that people can and do work from home and deliver. So I think in the end, it, it really is a test of leadership. So on the upside of that, do you see further innovation or, or data initiatives emerging out of this crisis that will be useful going forward? Undoubtedly. I mean, if I look at the speed of decisions and, as I mentioned before, the trust that we've needed to put into people, in order to keep going, actually, when people and organisations are operating in survival mode, you see the effectiveness with which decisions are taken. Now, obviously, it's, it's also with retaining the right eye on risk and controls and making sure they're safe decisions. But actually, there is less debate uh, and there's much more people sticking to you know, their area of expertise and others needing to trust in that. So I think our ability to innovate and deliver on that innovation has increased significantly. And it's really important that actually we harness all of the positive change that's come out of this, because whilst there have been many, many downsides, actually that ability to reinvent and thrive and deliver has been key and must absolutely remain. It's making all of us, every industry, have to think completely differently. And the opportunity is absolutely in that data and analytics space and how we how we thrive out of this. You were the winner of the Grand Prix at last year's Data IQ Awards, and this year you're our chair of judges. For people who are thinking about entering, what would you say that winning meant to you and, and to your team? And as a judge, what are you going to be looking for? So from, from a team perspective, I think that one was the most fundamental. It was an absolutely incredible sense of collective achievement. And looking back, that first award uh, that we received for, for data transformation was the catalyst for all of us. It, it reinvigorated the team. It reinvigorated our agenda. It ignited a renewed ambition for the team and a real sense of pride and validation in what they were doing. An organisation may recognize that there's movement being made but there's nothing like a set of other data professionals mm. recognizing something that they know and understand it means far more frankly than somebody who's not understanding the challenge saying that, that something works in our case we absolutely felt like we were the underdog <laughs> and came out absolutely you know 10 meters taller as a result so it's huge on a personal perspective for myself it's made all the moments of doubt and challenge worthwhile so it was really special on a completely different way um i had absolutely no expectation of winning whatsoever the main reflection for me for anyone going for any awards is don't go to awards alone because you might actually win <laughs> um <laughs> so so yes they've been they, they really have been a fundamental part of our journey on an, an unexpected part of our journey but fundamental nonetheless and it's kept us kept us going actually and really given the team an ambition that grew and grew as a judge when i'm reading award submissions i'm really looking for a sense of passion and pride in what the individual or the team have done that shines through more than anything else what makes you as an individual different from the others or what makes what your team did different and special because actually there's 
there's no room for half-hearted submissions. You can really read when somebody truly believes that what they have done has been special. And you can also tell when somebody's submission is because they felt they needed to put a submission in. For me, the, the challenge to anyone wanting to go forward for an award is harness that belief in what you're doing, in why you're doing it, in why it matters, and absolutely put 100% behind that submission. And ultimately, actually, somebody explaining very clearly why they deserve to win. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad thing. It's it's helping the judges to understand the difference, why it matters and why it should stand out. So don't be shy. Now, DataIQ has assembled a research panel of senior end-user practitioners in data and analytics. Alongside our partners, we have researched the impact of data on business, where value is created, and the challenges around improving data and data-driven processes. Paul Davison, Head of Data at Royal Mail, a member of our research program and partner in this edition of the podcast, talked to me about some of the issues that emerged from the findings. Paul, first of all, for people who may not know, could you tell us about the data and the data services offered by Royal Mail? Yes, of course. So um, Royal Mail Data Services have a full cycle of services within the data space. We will try to help people ensure that when they're capturing data, that they're doing it um, in the most accurate way possible. Uh, so we've got some services that can help with data capture. That can be anything from face-to-face, -to -face, on the phone or, or online. So we've got, you know, we've got technology that plugs into uh, the, the path file. So again, just vital when it comes to people capturing data that they make sure it's accurate at that point of capture. It's, you know, it's the kind of first part of the puzzle. And then if you go on to where people have already got data, so they've captured that data, but they want to maintain it, we've got a, a suite of services that ensure that people can keep all of their data accurate and up to date. So again, it's you know, moving around that cycle if you try and visualize it. Then we look at areas where if you are undertaking any kind of the more probably more traditional link into raw mail as a wider business, where people are undertaking any mailing activity, and that could be anything. That can be CRM communication, it can be transactional communication, or even marketing. But effectively, anybody who's doing that, um, where they've got a returned aspect, so returned mail coming back off the, those activities, we offer a fully managed service that will effectively manage that physical item and then turn it into data that you can feed back into your systems to ensure that you're learning when you're doing activity, which I think is you know, absolutely vital. And then we've got some areas where we dip into, um, we've got a couple of products that help around fraud prevention. We use our data that we capture around our redirection service uh, to facilitate that. So we've got kind of a full suite of products that work in that space. Something that I hope that, um, you know, we're looking to expand on and develop as we dig deeper into the data that we might have access to or, or, or can partner with people to bring to the market. So as you mentioned there, CRM, customer management, marketing, all those functions need good quality data. Now, we have just carried out a piece of research with you, which suggests that perhaps organizations are creating problems for themselves. Could you just give an insight into what it was that we found? So the, the research was fascinating. I mean, we've actually carried out this research in partnership with yourselves for um, seven years now. And I think what's surprising is the quality of data that people have access to is actually causing them quite a challenge. They're actually identifying it as you know, a significant marketing challenge for them. In terms of that data quality piece, looking at when people validate data 
on point of entry, um, whether it's website or whether it's on internal systems. One in five, would you believe, are still running manual checks on address data. Wow. Uh, and, and that's something that really doesn't need to happen. And in particular, I think when you've got research that shows that this is a problem for organizations, particularly when it comes to marketing, but then you've also got questions that seem to start to illustrate why that might be an issue. So, for example, the number of organizations that actually have no formal uh, schedule for data cleansing. And, and, you know, that some of the stats that are coming through that research is, is quite alarming. And then when you then see that actually the, um, the factors that would most influence an improvement in marketing, you've got better quality customer data coming up at 25.5% there. Uh, which is actually an increase on where it was three years ago in 2017, where it's risen from just over 18%. And what I find fascinating, but also challenging, is if you look at the period under which we've carried out this research, we've obviously seen some spikes. And some of those spikes you can kind of link to events, and obviously specifically in data, the GDPR is, is one of those. And you would argue that actually, right now, we've got a framework that allows people or enforces that people have to do the right thing by data subjects. And part of that is keeping data accurate and up to date. Yet what we've actually seen is it becoming a bigger problem. And for me, that's, that highlights some issues that I think as an industry we need to address. People had a challenge around data literacy in the organization. That might potentially mean that whilst there's a need because they can identify it, there is actually a lack of understanding across the organization, which might well mean that there's a challenge in getting investment approval to do something to address those challenges. One of the questions that we asked was about what is marketing's biggest challenge? What was really interesting was finding that analyzing customer data emerged as number one, as, as the biggest challenge faced by Marxists. What, what do you see is happening there and, and why? This, this is something that I think is uh, fascinating. Arguably, you would say that technology has moved on quite considerably. So from a, you know ability to analyze and gain insight from data, you would argue that technology has made that easier, potentially faster. But I think really what this points to is where we've seen just a, a colossal uplift in the volume of data that organizations are able to access. Right. And obviously, technology has been an enabler to that. Just because as an organization, you have all of this data on all of these touch points with your customers. For analytics to work and be effective, you've got to be able to make meaningful business decisions off the back of those, those modeling activities. And so it almost feels to me that actually it's the sheer scale of the data that people and organizations have access to now that is starting to maybe trip them up. That presents an opportunity. And again, it's one that probably technology is going to play a big part in. But you might also see that perhaps here where we've got the challenge around data literacy in organizations, perhaps that's an indicator here as to why they're struggling as well, um, because there's lots of parts of your organization that will obviously have access and will be capturing data, but do they actually understand that there's a value to it? And actually, if they made that available to, you know, certainly in larger organizations, some of the data teams, that they could start to draw some really interesting business insights from it. So uh, one final insight into the research, as you mentioned, we've been running this program um, for seven years. And Across that time, we've asked our respondents about 
their average levels of customer churn. Are you surprised about what that has revealed? Very much so. I mean, I think we've seen that customer churn uh, has gone from 18% all the way up to, you know, over 23%. And yet, interestingly, some of the other insight that we get from this research is that finding and acquiring new customers is no longer the biggest marketing challenge. Um, that's actually fallen over the years. Uh, and again, you know, when you think of the two together, they, they kind of contradict each other. But equally, I do wonder whether we have as organizations, access to a huge amount of information. But are we making the right decisions? Are we using that information to better communicate with customers? Are we using it to make better decisions about, you know, next best products? You know, all, all the kind of things that, that data can facilitate. Well, these, I mean, this, this insight would seem to suggest potentially not. And also, if you've got a challenge with data quality, and you've also got a challenge returning customers, you know, one, one could quite easily lead to the other. And it feels like a really unnecessary pain for organizations to be feeling. On 3rd of June, we're running a webinar with Ron Mann around the theme of doing the right thing with data. Now, that's a big idea. So can you tell us what's at its heart? It's, a, it's around data for good, which is, I know, something that, again, uh, data IQ promotes as well. We live in a world where there is data available at levels that we've never seen before. But I, I see a language, of, it's kind of a bit more of a negative language. It's around deletion, suppression, removing. And actually, I think in the way that we consume data as organizations, it's more about validation, checking. So for me to know that somebody is who I think they are and they live where I think they live is as valuable as knowing when they don't. Um, because all of the decisions that you make off the back of that data have an impact to whether that data is, is accurate. And interestingly, I mean, the GDPR has obviously created an environment where this shouldn't be a, a challenge, really. But I think what we've found is that there is some nervousness, some uncertainty. And I think where you've got large organizations who have people who are experts in this field, you know, often teams of people who are experts in this field, and even they're struggling to work out what they should and shouldn't do. I think that's where it can be uh, slightly alarming. And then my point around, you know, uh, kind of using data for good is it just gets amplified when it comes to maybe the slightly smaller organizations where the person whose job it is to keep data compliant accurate, up to, be, up to date, you know, fit for purpose, all the things that we, we know are a requirement. Actually, they're also the person that's probably running the finance team or, you know, running operations yeah. on a Tuesday and doing the marketing plan on a Friday. And, and actually, I think as an industry, we've got to try and help that. One of the things that we're, we're working uh, quite closely with the DMA and, and as an industry in that hygiene space is looking at how do we build a gold standard. So in other words, it's all about trying to educate the market to say, look, if you do want to maintain your data, there are some files out there that meet this accreditation. And, you know, so you can have confidence in going and using those to do the right thing. Clearly, this would seem like the right moment for everybody working with data to be thinking about the big picture, where would you like to see the industry starting on that journey? As an industry, we've got a responsibility that I think historically we haven't done a particularly good job in. Often you'll hear of uh, people who aren't familiar with data or perhaps don't work with or in data, you know, often reference data as a bit of a black art. And, and I think as an industry, we've actually compounded that problem. I mean, you know, you only have to look at the various 
acronyms, terminology. And, you know, I appreciate that obviously that's, that's something that exists everywhere. But I think in data, we, we've, we've kind of, we've almost relished on the fact um, that, you know, data is a black art and that's, that's why we have to do what we do. And I think if particularly in that smaller, medium-sized company space, that's that's a problem and as an industry i think we need to help make it easier to do the right things to look after the assets that we've got in our data and the industry will probably again lean to technology uh we're working on a, a couple of bits and pieces in raw mail to to kind of help bring some of these services to the smaller companies and we're working with some partners on that but i also think it's around making it easy to buy and and i think you know there are some organizations in our industry that do the most amazing things, but we need to really make it easy to understand what those are and then make it really easy for people to buy those services where they're appropriate. Because I think that will actually deliver a, a potentially a step change in what we're seeing um, today. And hopefully, you know, if we can make some, you know, progress in some of those areas, we might start to see some different results from this survey and maybe, you know, one Maybe a bit ambitious, but maybe two, three years' time. You can find the research we discussed as part of a series of reports we have published on our website, dataiq.co.uk. Finally, I spoke to Pyle Jane and Vikram Jane, founders of Agile Transformation Consultancy J-Curve, together with their data scientist Michael Connor, about what went into winning the DataIQ Award for Transformation with Data in 2019. But I started by asking Canari Larder of TUI about whether awards should be viewed as a formal part of career development and recognition. Canari, how important is recognition like awards, like Powerless, to individuals and teams in data analytics? Are they in any way built formally into things like career development plans or even into incentives? For me, I've never worked in an organisation where any form of achievement like this recognition has been built into a career plan. And I think that's a really good idea. I think it should be built into career plans. It's something to uh, work towards. But I also think when you achieve an award or recognition like this, it also inspires your team. It's something that you don't think of. So when I personally got an award, I, I felt I inspired the team. I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards to say it's a great achievement. And it's also a celebration of what you've achieved in the industry as well. So Within your network as well, you'll see a lot of collaboration coming through from that recognition. So there's a lot of opportunities that come out of that. Pyle, how about uh, you in your career and your experience? I think winning an award is always such a humbling experience um, to get the recognition you know, from your peers in the industry. But I think in terms of the impact um, it has, it, you know, it's really special for the team. You know, whether it's the leader that's won the award or whether it's the team as a whole. You know, from my experience, you know, when I was number one, you know, back in 2016, actually, I felt really proud of the team. And it was the team that enabled me to win it. You know, it was all the great work that was going across that helped that happen. And they all felt super special from it. But also, you know, you've got some other byproducts that are really nice as well. So, you know, you've got great recognition for the organisation you work in and the brand. Um, and it helps in terms of attracting talent. And then finally, I'd say it's an enabler for the leader. So, you know, whether it's conversations with stakeholders or across the business, your own leadership and how that grows, you know, having access to this amazing network. You know, there are byproducts as an individual that I think it really helps with as well. Kanari, to your point about these things aren't built in formally into plans, that suggests that entering awards tends to be quite ad hoc would it make more sense would it be more effective to perhaps plan to be 
putting pieces of work, putting individuals forward for those those types of recognition, rather than maybe doing it, you know, just in a fairly tight window when we start chasing you to submit something. Yes, definitely. I think it should be built into your, you know, your objectives as part of the team when you're trying to achieve any of your company objectives, personal objectives, should be built as part of the award entry. Therefore, you know what you're working towards. And secondly, I think as managers and team managers, we should be also promoting um, or entering individuals that we work with for awards like that. I think a lot more of that can happen. And it, not only your team, but also within your network, you know somebody that work, has worked throughout the career. You can also recognise other people. So I think it's within our power to do that. And it should be kind of almost embedded into some kind of formal process. Vikram, can I come to you? What role can an award play in helping someone like yourself, a vendor, a consultancy in developing your business and then perhaps helping clients to understand who you are and how they might work with you? Winning an award like this or being a part of an award like this is it offers huge value for, for organisations such as J-Curve. Uh, and I guess the reason why, I mean, we're relatively small um, and we're unknown, you know, relatively unknown across the, in the markets. And what this does is provide massive recognition. And especially when you consider that we're being compared with not just uh, kind of, you know, um, small players, but also some of the largest and well-known and uh, mature peers as well. So having that recognition that we've been compared and contrasted with against all of those other organisations adds huge amounts of credibility to us. And I guess in summary, I mean, that's resulted in, you know, several projects that we've won, but also it's generated a lot of opportunities and a lot of good discussion and positive uh, discussion about our brand. So, you know, in summary, it does, it does add a huge amount of value to a business like ours to win a, such a prestigious award. It's very easy for us to say we're really great and consultants are naturally used to saying that a lot. People recognise you. I think there's no better way of getting recognition, really, that it's independence. It's clearly, you know, everyone knows that the, the way that you guys score and review all the case studies is very robust and it's independent and that, that's resulting in, in um, people seeing this with huge amounts of credibility. Kanani, would you support that view as a, as a client? It's obviously not, you know, the, the, the top level of what you're looking for when, when you're assessing your partners, but presumably it's helpful to see if they have won the award, if they have been recognised by uh, some, some kind of industry body. Yes, I definitely think it is. So from a client perspective, as you can imagine, there's so many consultancies and vendors of all different sizes, you know, they've all got their... The, the, in terms of what they charge as a cost um, and it's sometimes quite hard to understand you want the best consultancy the best people to work for you to deliver that objective of that project um, and I think it adds a lot of credibility when consultancies regardless of size win awards like this it showcases their work which clients have worked with and also kind of in, from an industry perspective you're, you're working with the industry leader so I definitely think for my consideration I definitely take that as a you know something that's a really good value to have. Michael can I ask you you're a member of the, the team that, that won uh, the award last year transformation with data what you were doing uh, with Sainsbury's at that time as a member of that team working on an award-winning project what does that feel like? What sort of reactions did you get from colleagues and perhaps also mm. from your network? So on a personal level, it, it was massively uplifting. Um, and even now, just, just visualising the moment of winning the award kind of raises a smile. Um, you know, it's a, it a massive kind of confidence boost to, to me, but also um, our wider organisation in terms of what we do you know and and, and actually yeah, kind of building on that you you get the personal recognition that yes you know I did a a, a good job but but also then there's something more powerful about the team did a great job and, and 
and the kind of the the team transformation award is a real um, marker of of the the hard work, the effort that the team put in, um, and also the kind of recognition that to truly deliver a great transformation, you you, you can't do that alone. You, you need a, a team around you. You need a good team around you, and you've lived the experience of needing help and, and guidance from team members, feedback from them to help shape sessions and supporting sessions. And then at the end of it, to kind of have that recognised from an external body just kind of makes it all even greater. You've got the kind of, you you know intuitively whether you've done a good job with a client from the feedback you get. But for then that to be recognised from an outside perspective just kind of almost, you know, doubles the, the exhilaration that you get. I think as well, what was really powerful about winning the award as that team was that it didn't really feel that it was just us as the project team in with Sainsbury's that won the award. It, it felt that we as an organisation won that award because it felt what we were delivering had been shaped by all of us. And so I, I can recall we all went for a, a celebration dinner and were, you know, passing around the, um, the trophy. But it, it didn't feel that that was just the Sainsbury's team's trophy. It felt like we'd, we'd all earn that. Um, and, it, and in a real genuine, tangible sense. So I, th- I think there's a real power about entering one, entering to kind of recognise that we think our, our projects, our transformation is worthy of, of external recognition. And then when you win that, you know, it is really humbling as a team and, you know, massively motivated. And I think you made the point when we spoke before that during a project, it's very easy to forget how far you've traveled. Yeah, yeah. You, you've lived the, you've lived the knocks, the blows, um, you know, everything doesn't go in a straight line with a transformation. There's, there's some big, bold objectives, um, but a blank sheet of paper on how to get there. And, and it is, you know, this, this mixture of test and learn and, um, and, and learning from some of the, the knockbacks as well as the successes. And, and it can be harder to then get that perspective of how much you've shifted because you're, you're, you're kind of moving along um, on these kind of iterative gains. And so, yeah, to then have some, you know, that, that, uh, that external view that, you know, wasn't uh, part of that to kind of then, um, recognize it. it is huge right now a lot of teams are furloughed a lot of projects are on hold what role do all of you see for recognition in this situation pile do you do you have a thought there about why we should still run our awards and, and still recognize people um i think it has such a, a place to play to be honest david you know for a couple of reasons we've been um, mentoring individuals as we went into lockdown that was one of the things jacob decided you know i think it was the day of lockdown we announced our free mentoring program and as a result you know we've spoken to a lot of individuals that have been furloughed and, you know, two things happen to them. One is that they start to um, lose their confidence. They're at home, you know, they're thinking about life and things like that. But also it is a really challenging time at the moment. And I think we all need positives to actually, you know, focus on. And I think recognising, you know, amazing colleagues or, um, you know, friends or your network is really powerful because, you know, we're on a bit of a marathon, aren't we, with COVID and when things are going to go back to normal. But I think these little magic moments on the way just give us all a reason to smile. Kanari, I know you were mentioning about the importance of um, staying in touch with teams, um, trying to keep that uh, connection together. This might be one of those opportunities. Yes, definitely. I think, you know, even for someone like me who's currently on furlough, we stay connected with the teams and we try and just have that communication. Like you said, Pearl, people are reflecting on, you know, 
their work life, their personal life. Some people have got families, some people haven't. And just having that communication with the people that you work with, continuing this is quite important. And even just being recognised as Data IQ 100, we had a catch-up call with the team and somebody mentioned it. And everybody around the in, on the call was like, oh, congratulations. And that just automatically uplifted my mood, but also people around them to think that, you know, you're saying well done to somebody else, you're recognising. So I think it's quite important to bring people together, but also just to then stay connected about what's happening in our industries or who's winning awards and who's being recognised. And people want to still stay in touch with their um, work life as well, as well as their personal life, even when you're not working. Recognition as well is, is such a confidence boost when you receive it uh, it's also such a kind of positive thing to do for your colleagues and I think at the moment in this negative time re- reminding colleagues of great work that they've done and, and actually going through that real positive step of, of appreciating people is, is good not only for you if you recognise people but also just for them just to remind them that you know we are in this negative stage but l- look at what we've achieved before and and it's a reminder that they can then go back to 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 kind of give them that confidence that, that they'll be able to deliver that again. So you are all award winners what tips have you got for anyone who's planning to enter this year's data IQ awards about maybe creating an award-winning entry did you do anything that you recall when you were crafting your own submissions that uh, they might find useful uh, okay so i guess the the, the pr- principles that we focused on when um, making this application were kind of around three different things so one is we wanted to really show that this is about the client's voice, not just to us. It's very easy for us to kind of say how great we were and what value added, but really making sure that as a consultancy, our client's voice was very strong in our submission, just to make sure that it was fully credible and realistic. Uh, the second thing is really focusing on the value, not just the approach. So really just showing the tangible results which were delivered uh, in a very short space of time. And then the last thing is highlighting the legacy um, that we left with the particular organisation we worked with in the long term. So when we walked away, the business was much stronger as a result. And those, those are the three things that we focused on. It's just really important to be authentic and to, um, you know, there's, you know, we all talk about data storytelling. Well, this is, you know, a great way to practice it. Talk through the journey um, as well as the outcomes of what, what has been achieved and, and actually, it's a brilliant time to just to reflect on that story. It's also really important to nudge or suggest to people that they should nominate themselves or a team. You know, it's a really nice opportunity of actually being a supporter in a network. So, you know, kind of look for those amazing role models that exist or great teams that we all look into and think, gosh, they're doing some amazing stuff. Because sometimes you don't recognise it all yourself. And you need someone to, to give you that nudge or to tell you if there's something special happening here. Um, so why don't you go and nominate yourself? I think the first thing I'd say as a tip is that, like Pyle said, reflect on what you and your team have achieved. Because sometimes you're just so you're on the hamster wheel churning away. And actually, when you just take a step back and actually give that task to your team, there's a lot of work you've achieved. And then you, before you realise, you'll have 15 entries and you'll try and pick the right one to write a story about. So have a think about the ones that you want to. There's been a lot of things teams have achieved. What are the key ones? And then write write that story and write it in a way which tells you, you know, what was the objective or what was the problem and how you solved it. 
um, like we kind of mentioned, but also what is that tangible outcome value? What was it? You know, was it a, an impact on a KPI? Was it a customer impact? So there's always some kind of a benefit that you see and explain that, tell it how it is, you know. And I think the last tip is that once you have put the painstakingly written that, you know, award entry in there, get somebody in your network or somebody, a colleague to read it because it's always nice to get somebody else's, uh, you know, just viewpoint on it and just see actually does it, does it tell the story, you know, does it flow and have I explained it? Or something that really helps as well. I do remember reading the application and I, I just thinking, I think Vikram summed up our, our key points that we follow really well, but what jumps out for me is, is bringing that client's voice into it in, in whatever format you can, because actually that's the true sign of success, the difference that you made, you know, particularly for us when we're working on transformations. And then to Paul's point as well, not losing your um, authenticity, you're not losing who you are as well in the application, because that that's what will stand you out from the competition. That That's what has allowed you to deliver good results, you being you as an organisation, and you shouldn't just try, you shouldn't lose that in your application. And that's it for another episode. Thanks to our partner, Royal Mail. If you liked it, please link, like, and share. And until the next time, goodbye.